And my prayer is that you're ready this morning to break free from this sorry cycle, this longing and then regret. And it's time that we find an absolute new direction today. And this is where that, this third realization, this third step, this third awakening comes into play. It says this awakening to help. We have this awakening to longing and this awakening to regret, longing, regret. And now it comes to this word called help. We look in Luke chapter 15, verses 17 through 19. And when the prodigal son came to his senses, he decided to turn his life around. And last week we talked about this word called repentance. Repentance is this realization, right, that the direction that we're headed is not the direction that we need to go, and we need to make a complete 180 and go a different direction. And so repentance is making that turn, that U-turn, Right? And going this different direction. But repentance also implies not just turning around, but it also means going back to where you belong. And for the son, for the prodigal son, it meant I'm going this direction. I came to my senses. I'm turning around. And now I'm taking that first step and I'm going to go back to my father. And that's what this awakening to help is all about. After he came to his senses, right? We can see that on the screen. Luke 15, 20, verse 8. He got up and went to his father. He went home. And so for us, repentance means the same thing. It's the decision to return to our heavenly father. It's the decision to return to our creator. It's the decision to absolutely, incredibly come home. And I want you to know that this particular stage is truly a game changer in your life and in my life. It's in this that we stop trying to fix fix things ourselves. It's in this that we stop trying to prove ourselves. We stop trying to find fulfillment in our longings by ourselves. And we come to realize And this can be a hard thing to come to in that realization is that I can't do this on my own. I don't know if you've been doing that 30-day challenge that we've talked about. And in that, each seven days, we have this um, prayer that we're asking you to do. And this week, this is the prayer. God, if you are real... Make yourself real to me. Awaken in me the willingness to turn towards you for help. And so later on this morning, we are going to give you the opportunity to do that. We're going to give you an opportunity to turn to God for help. Maybe it's for the first time. Maybe it's uh, a time where you've said yes to him, but you've fallen away. And you know this morning that that is a time that I want to get back to him. But before we do that, I want us to continue on in that story in Luke chapter 15. Because I want you to understand the reception that you're going to get when you do make that decision. Because I think it's important to us to understand what happens in heaven when we make that decision. 
And we can get a glimpse of that from the story in Luke chapter 15. I mean, what kind of God do we find when we come home? I mean, what kind of father is absolutely waiting for us? It's the father, right, that we see in this prodigal story. And Jesus tells us that um, as the son walked his long journey home, it says this in Luke chapter 15, verse 20. He says, while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. And so who is waiting for us with extreme patience and extreme love when we return. It's the God who runs. And for us to understand that, we need to understand what Jesus is saying in this parable. Because understand that when we see the Father running, and as the audience is listening to the story, they would probably be going, gasping. I wasn't a very good gasp. (laughs) But they're gasping right when he's saying it's because any respected elder, any respected father, you know, with the the dress that they had on, um, would not run, would not hike up so that they could run because then their legs would be seen. I mean, think about it. Just think about it in our context. We don't see our president, right? We don't see our president or our leaders running to go meet, right? That would be incredibly funny if on Air Force One, the president comes walking down and then, you know, he's going to meet um, some foreign dignitary and all of a sudden you see him just start running. You know, slow motion, it's music and they chest bump and it's all good. We just don't see that happening with our important leaders, right? They just don't run. I mean, I don't run anymore, but that's because I have bad knees. I'm just not that important, right? But we just don't see that. We just don't see that. So there's something significant else, or something else else significant about this running father. Because when when they hear this story about the dad running to him, and Jesus is eloquently painting this picture... We understand that the son has squandered, has taken his dad's money, has squandered his inheritance. And the people who are listening, um, there would have been a very different reception to the son when he would have come back home. Typically, the people of that era or that day would have intercepted the son at the town gates of the city. And they would have performed a ceremony called the Kazaza, something like that. And this is how the ceremony would go. They would take a clay pot. Right? They would take this clay pot and they would hold it up. And they would smash it at the gate in front of the sun. And so they would take this and said, as the sun was coming up, and please, if you're near the front, I want you to shield your eyes because I have no idea where this is going to go. All right? (laughs) So they would take this pot and they would just. See, I thought that was going to happen. It's not going to break. Seth is laughing. Still not going to break. 
Ah. There we go. So that's what the hell would happen. <laughs> I'm going to write a book, and it's going to be all the illustrations that go south as a pastor. Hope the guitars didn't get break. But they would have done this, right? They would have done this. They would have gone and intercepted the sun, and they would have broken these clay pots in front of him, and they would have taken these pieces, and they would have said to him, This is you. You are broken. You are no longer worthy to be in our community. You are now cut off from us, and we don't want you to return. I mean, that's the son knew this. This is part of their culture. Can you imagine? what that must have been like. And maybe that's the reception that the son deserved. But there's always a but in our story or their story. The father did not care about that. In fact, day after day, he's scanning the horizon, waiting waiting for his son because he knew that if the townspeople would get to him first, that this ceremony would happen. And so he wanted to get there before all of that to let his son know that he loved him and embraced him and there was something different, that he was not going to be cut off from the community. And we see this beautiful picture of the father embracing his son. And I don't know about you, but when I understood the culture and I understand this ceremony, it just, it just brings that to life to me. <laughs> the father is waiting. And he's so patient. For you. So let me ask you this morning Do you understand that this is the God that waits for you as well? When we come to the point where we admit we've blown it and we recognize that I need help, this is how God responds to us too. This is the God that we're going to find. This is the God that runs up to us to meet us with open arms of acceptance and kisses his love and tears of joy and whatever else is going on. And said, ah, oh, my son was lost and now my son is found. Let's go have a party. And he takes these broken pieces and he begins to put them back together again, right? But first of all, he celebrates. And I don't know if... I mean, it's really hard, right, to, to really visualize that, but um, there was a story, uh, Derek Redman, back in 1992, is an Olympian for Britain, and um, his running career was continually being frustrated by injuries, and it was the Barcelona Olympics in 1992, and he had undergone five operations in his life, 
including one to get his Achilles tendon um, fixed less than four months before the Olympics. And finally, he was healed. And finally, he was beginning to run again. It was the 400 meters. And he had the best time um, in the, the preliminaries. And he was coming to these semifinals. And he was, the gun went off. And he began to run. And halfway on the backstretch, his quad snapped. And he went down in pain. And his whole four years that had gone on to prepare for this and everything that he'd gone on just was shattered and he was just broken down in tears. But he decided at that moment that he was going to get up and, and limp to the finish line. And as he got around that final curve, all of a sudden someone popped out of the stands and ran to him, and you can just imagine, you knew right away who that was, and it was his dad. And his dad put his arm, you know, just anything that dad can do, and said, I'm going to walk with you. And they finished the race, and there was a couple of officials that came up and tried to persuade him, and he vehemently pushed them aside, no, this is my son, I'm going to finish the race with him. And they finished the race, and this is an incredible, incredible display of a love that the father has for his son. And you need to know that that is the God, that is the father that runs to you. We just don't learn about God the father in this story we also learn about God through the storyteller. Because the most important step is to meet the narrator of our story. It's the whole reason that Jesus told this story, the prodigal son, was to help us find our way back to God. And the reason he knows so much about finding our way back to God or finding God is because he is God. He's not just some remote God who is out there and doesn't really know the human condition, doesn't really know or care about what's going on inside of us because it's a God who is very present and very active. And he's a very relational God who longs to be close with us. Because, see, when we awaken to help, when we awaken to this third realization and we decide to come home, we will discover that help has, has a name we will discover that help has a name, and his name is Jesus Christ. God in human form, coming down, fully God, fully man. And we see his life, and we see his compassion, and we see his love. And that's God's way of saying, you look at my son, you look at me. I mean, Jesus is the God who is with us. We celebrate that at Christmas time. He was sent by God, and he lived among us, and he was one of us. I mean, if you want to know the God that's waiting for you, then all you need to do is look to Christ, and in him we find this. We find a God who is present, promising never to leave us on our own. That's a promise that he gives us. It's a God who is full of grace, refusing to condemn us even when it's deserved in our life. A God who is humble, bending down to care for your needs and for my needs. And a God who is for us. And we all need somebody 
to be for us. It's the God who is for us, sacrificing himself when we were helpless to sacrifice for ourselves. Help has a name, and its name is Jesus. So what kind of God is waiting for you and I when we come back to him? It's the God that we see in Jesus. We've been going through that in the book of Luke this year. And so maybe for you, today is the day that you find your way back to him. Now is the time to come home. God, if you're real, make yourself real to me. That's a cry that we have. If you've been praying that prayer consistently, and I don't know if you've been seeing God show up in your life, I'm praying that, that he has made himself known to you and that you're looking for him. And right now, maybe he's making himself known to you. There's that prompting of the Holy Spirit. You're not really sure what it is, but it's God saying, come home. Maybe it's time to do that this morning. And you're sitting here, and maybe you've chased a lot of things. You've chased a lot of things. Looking for love and looking for purpose and looking for meaning. And outside of God, all that you've found is regrets. And I understand. Just like little Ben is hesitant to ask for help, so are we in this. It's pride that is keeping us from admitting that we can't do it on our own. Right? We like being here. Or perhaps it's shame. You don't know what I've done. I don't think God can love me. And it's not other people that have really done this kazaza moment in your life. It's really you. Telling yourself that you can't return. But I want to tell you as clearly as I can this morning that you can always, always come home. Right? There's a God just like the father in the story who's scanning the horizon. He's looking and watching for you specifically. And he took that shame and he took that humiliation of our sin on the cross. He took it on himself. He paid for that. And he longs for you to come home. And if you choose to do that, he's going to run to you. He is. He's going to run to you. He's going to wrap his arms around you and he's going to say, Ah, oh, I love you. so if you're ready, I want to give you that opportunity this morning. Some of us have never made that commitment to Jesus Christ. And it could be someone who's never been in church, or it could be someone who's been in church all their life. 
And for you, if you've been in church all your life, maybe it's because mom and dad have drugged me there or that's just what we do in Midwestern Nebraska. But you've never really had a relationship with him. And so this morning, I'm gonna give you the opportunity to say yes to him. And for others of us, We've already made that commitment to Christ, but we've wandered far away. We've forgotten the gospel in essence. And we found ourselves back again in this endless cycle of longing and regret. And we want out, but it's hard for us to admit that we can't do it on our own. And so I'm praying that we surrender again, not that salvation, but we say yes to him. And it's not that we're Surrender is not giving up nearly as much as it is giving to. I'm giving my life to Jesus. I'm giving control to Jesus. Our will, our heart, and asking him to make us new again for leadership and such. And maybe you have said yes to him, but you've never been baptized and that's part of uh, being a follower of him and something that he's asked us to do. It's part of being obedient to him as to saying yes to him publicly. I wanted to show I'm not afraid. I might be afraid, but I don't care. I want to show to the world that I am a follower of Christ and baptism is that. And we're going to have a baptism next Sunday and it is going to be so much fun. We have someone that has said yes to that already. And I want to give you that opportunity this morning to say yes to that as well. In the back, by Jordan and Alex, there's little cards. And if that's something that you want to do, grab that at some point. And you can put your name down and check the little box um, and then hand it in to me. Or you can talk to me after the service this morning. I would love, love to um, have you be baptized next Sunday. So this morning, we're going to sing, and then we're going to break in the song. And sometimes I know that when we put music, sometimes it becomes a manipulative, and that's not my intent this morning. But music moves us. And so I'm going to ask you to um, be courageous today. <laughs> I think being part of a small church, being part of a church that is a church plant that it's made up of a bunch of pioneers. And that's what we need this morning. People who are going to be courageous. And you're saying, I know I'm broken. And I know I need help. And I'm ready to return to the Father. And I'm ready to come home. So we're going to sing verse 1, verse 2 in the chorus. And then I'm going to come back up and we're going to talk to you. You can stand. Peace, bring it all to peace. The storm surrounding me, let it break. Your name. 
I'm going to ask you to be courageous. So I debated, uh, and my wife can attest to this, debated whether, you know, honestly, I don't know what the right way to do this is. <laughs> so I'm going to leave it open. Some churches will have you come down in front. I've been a part of a church like that. And it takes courage. <laughs> it just takes courage to do that. But I'm just going to say that when you know what's right and the Holy Spirit's convicting you and you know you need to do this, I just say go for it. Nobody's going to judge you here. And if they do, just say, I don't care. If that's not you, that's fine. Stay where you're at. You don't need to close your eyes and you don't need to, you can keep your eyes open or whatever it is. But it's just a very, some, something that you're saying, it's not a magic prayer, it's not even coming down. But it's just really a heart thing, right? You're saying in essence, I know that I'm a sinner. I know that I'm broken. I know that I've been trying to do this on my own and I need help. And I want to come back to you. And if you're going to do that for the first time, great. And if it's something that you've become a Christian and you know you've fallen away, you want to get back to him, then, then recommit your life to him this morning. So we're just going to take some time. They're going to play a little bit. And if you feel brave, you want to come down in front. David, is, David Mike's up here. I don't know if there's a couple other elders that want to come down. They would love to pray with you. Or you can just bow your head and just be right in front. Or if you want to stay in your aisle, you can do that too. Let's just take a little bit of time and be with our God this morning. And then we'll keep singing.